welcome to the Miles to Memories podcast. I'm Sean Coomer, your host, joined by a very special guest this week to start off the new year on the Miles to Memories podcast. My wife of almost 23 years and my travel partner for almost the same amount of time, Jasmine Coomer. Welcome, Jasmine, to the show. Good to have you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so we have a lot of interesting stuff to talk about. We've traveled to, I don't know quite how many countries, over 50 countries together, just about every state, and we've spent the last 15 years traveling kind of around the globe with our kids. We'll talk about all of that. We we currently are semi-nomadic, meaning that we're using miles and points to fund almost all of our travels. So that's hotels, that's flights, that's everything. So there's a lot of interesting and fun stuff to talk about, but I think it's fun to kind of go back in time to start with where we met and your background and to kind of give your perspective on some of the things I talk about often here on the Miles to Memories podcast, including what it's like to be a so-called player two, which is the spouse of a crazy travel hacker. And you do more than most. We have a reselling business, done gift cards, money orders, all kinds of stuff that we've bought and done over the years to earn points and miles. We've taken incredible trips. I remember, and I will talk later about our trip to Hawaii, our first one, and our first kind of taste of elite status at the Hyatt there and all of that. And then backpacking around the world with our kids, homeschooling, all of that's coming up because we have a lot to discuss. It's been an amazing life, I think, a life well lived, and you're an amazing partner to share in that. So thank you to start off the show. You're welcome. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> She's always happy to tell me how lucky I am to have her, and that's true. For sure. Yeah. But before we get into the show, just a reminder, you can find our show at mtmpodcast.com. That's where you can find links and everything else related to the show if you want to support us. And if you do listen to us on Apple Podcasts, make sure to leave us a five-star review, a written rating. It helps us out a lot. This is the first in our series of interviews that we're going to be doing with some of my friends and my close travel compadres and people that I know have great knowledge to share with all of you. And these will be intermixed with shows with me and Joe talking about current events, news, things like that. Next week, we're going to have Joe and Leslie from Disney Deciphered to talk all about Disneyland and Walt Disney World in 2023. I'm really happy about that, Jasmine, because... We're going to Disneyland next week, and I'm recording <laughs> we are, that. For sure. Yeah. And I'm recording that show right before we go. So then I'll get all the best tips from Leslie and Joe, and then we're going to Disney World in just a few weeks. So perfect timing for me, and then for all of you out there, so you can learn about that. So a lot of exciting stuff coming up this year. And with that said, we have a lot to talk about, Jasmine. So we better get started. Uh, yeah, let's do it. It's been a long time. We met in the first time I met you was. January 18th, I believe, but it was Martin Luther King Day in 1999, and I had just started my job at IHOP, and my first job was actually at IHOP as a busboy when I was 14, and that was the probably the single hardest job I've ever done in my life, but I went to work at MGM Grand, and I was working in the arcade there, and sort of my support structure in life sort of broke down, and I needed a better job. I was basically supporting myself at that point in time. That's a story for another day. But my brothers ended up helping me get a job, and that first day I was waiting, and I saw this little four foot eleven Mexican fireball waitress, and I was uh, infatuated. I will say, I think the feeling wasn't mutual at the time. <laughs> um, I vaguely recall that day, but yeah, it, it was probably busy. That's why. But yeah, I can't really say the same. It's okay, my ego can take it. You weren't as interested in me as I was interested in you. But then we were working together. We were on the same shifts, yeah. and we got to know each other. And within a couple months, we were dating. 
And that sort of started our travel stuff. But let's, before we get into travel, where are you from? I'm from Mexico. I was born in Acapulco and I moved to the U.S. when I was 12 years old. You grew up on the shores of the Bay of Acapulco, watching what the sun sets or sun, yeah, sun rises. I had the, the views, the perfect views from my room, from the top of our house. Um, I can see like the whole bay every night, every day. It was beautiful. It was beautiful. Hot though there, right? And humid and lots I don't know. Of I don't think, I don't, I, I, I don't, I guess I didn't notice until like recently. But into 2008. So you got old? <laughs> no, not really into like, we really got to hot places. But yeah, it wasn't, it, it was hot, but not, I didn't, I guess I didn't notice because I didn't know any better. You moved to the United States when? when? When you were 12? 12 years old, yeah. And you moved to a place called Canoga Park, which ironically is just a couple miles from where I grew up and lived in Northridge in Southern yeah. California. This is all in the LA area. So even though we didn't meet to Las Vegas, we actually lived for a period of time not far from each other in Southern California. And I feel like that tie to Southern California is sort of what gave us our roots in travel. I feel the same, yeah, because I used to go to Six Flags like all the time, like it's twice a week. It's called Magic Mountain. Let's okay, not okay, okay. Well, yeah, I always call it Six Flags, but yeah, it is called Magic Mountain. I, used, I grew up there, basically. Yeah, I guess that's how we started it. Yeah, we started our first trip in the summer of 1999, and we took a road trip from IHOP, or I think from, it was July, right? It was your sister's birthday. So when Yeah, it was August. So it was August of 1999, and we made a road trip down to Southern California, and I remember we slept either on the sofa or the floor of your mom and sister's apartment in Canoga Park, so it wasn't fancy travel, and maybe that was a you know, preview of what was to come in our life of travel and what we were willing to do in order to go places. But we went on that trip and we went to Magic Mountain. I do remember that. We took your sister there. We celebrated your sister's birthday. And we took our first trip to Disneyland. And that was your first time ever going to Disneyland, despite having kind of grown up in Southern California. You never had gone there. And that like blew my mind. And I was almost offended. I'm not sure why we didn't go to Disneyland at all. I, I had no idea. But yeah, that was the very first time I went there. Yep. And I always get credit for being a Disney fan and a coaster enthusiast, but I stopped keeping track of your roller coasters ridden, but I think you've ridden over 700 different roller coasters. You've been to every Disney park in the world, most multiple times, you know, Disneyland Paris, I don't even know how many times, Disney World, Disneyland. So that was the start of, of all of it. And, you know, despite the fact that I'm this crazy Disney lover, I feel like you've developed a love of Disney too, right? I definitely love Disneyland. Or Disney, yeah, for sure. What's your favorite part of going to a Disney park? The favorite part? Not just to see, like, all the, the magical stuff, I guess. The characters, just walking around. I mean, that's about it. <laughs> just walking know. around? Like, you don't like the rides? Like, Pirates I, well, of the Caribbean? Uh, yeah, I, I'm, you said, what's your favorite part? I mean, favorite part, of the course, characters? is the, the characters and, like, the magical stuff that it's in Disneyland. But, I mean... Uh, besides the, of course, you go there to ride the the rides. I mean, besides that, everything else is, is I, I, I just love the feeling of being there. That's it. Well, me too. That was our first trip. And, you know, then I remember, let's fast forward because we have a lot to cover here. Mm. A few years later, our first sort of big trip, and it felt really big, but it really wasn't in hindsight. <laughs> uh, 
Around the end of 1999, in December, we found out you were pregnant. And the next August, we had a little boy. And <laughs> I was 18 years old. You were 20 years old at the time. And we were suddenly a, a family. And both of us had been independent for long periods of time before this. So I guess for your typical 18 and 20-year-old, you know, we had good jobs. We had... yeah enough money to pay for everything. Believe it or not, being the server at IHOP paid decent enough, especially with two salaries that we had cars. And we even bought our first home when our son was a baby. So uh, we were in our own home not too long after he was born. And so we had an okay start. So from the outside, I feel like people would say, oh my God, they were young parents. But we were sort of forced out into the world at a very young age. And maybe we're a little bit more mature when it came to dealing with life and starting our life. And so the idea of a kid coming wasn't planned in any way, but it also turned into a, a big blessing for us and something that we never used and something that we never sort of let. It didn't stop us from doing what we wanted to do. That is a, a theme to our story here today. So we, had, uh, so we had a kid and his name is Sean Reese and he's traveled a lot with us. And when he was uh, probably three years old, we finally took our first quote unquote big trip, mm. which if you look back at our life, I got, my God, it's like such a small trip, right? But we drove down to my dad's house, dropped our son off. He watched him for a couple of days. And then we got on an airplane to San Francisco. <laughs> we flew from LA to San Francisco. Instead of, we could have probably just driven there quicker. And it was like a tin can of a plane, one of those really old, small planes. But that was our kind of first trip was to San Francisco. I had gotten us four nights, I think, at the Pan Pacific Hotel, so a nice hotel. I had only kind of passed through San Francisco once, and I hadn't been to any of the East Coast cities in the U.S. You hadn't been there, and San Francisco has a metro, and it has a lot of stuff that you don't see on the West Coast, and it's really pretty, and there's just a lot there, and that was a great trip, and it seemed like just a massive undertaking for us at the time. Yeah, it was It was one of the big things. Like, we always wanted to, well, I always wanted to go to San Francisco because I always thought that, you know, the bridge, the Golden Gay Bridge was one of the things and that I wanted to really see. And Alcatraz was another one. We did those things. It was great. And we loved the food <laughs> a yeah. lot. We, we really loved, we, as we, we loved San Francisco. Like we just, it was one of the cities that, that we always wanted to be at. And yeah, it felt like it was massive. It felt like it was like a huge trip, but it really in reality was just like he said, like we couldn't just drive there, but I mean, it was pretty it was pretty amazing though it was nice yeah yeah i mean we have a thirst for doing stuff i think and that kind of when i look back was evident in that trip we got the city pass and so it included like seven things every art museum bay cruise all the stuff and we did all of that over the course of like four days and i don't know we've been back to san francisco probably 15 or 20 times since then it's become one of our favorite cities a little unfortunate to see what's happened in the last couple of years. It doesn't feel quite as nice as it used to, but the food's amazing. The culture's amazing. And it's the best example of like an East Coast city, I think, in the U.S., where it's built up the, the sort of the density. You, we would later sort of learn as we traveled around the country, which we've done quite extensively, you know, that there's other areas that are kind of similar to that. But San Francisco always will be special to us. And then our first big trip was what, Cabo? Uh, a couple years later in a timeshare and that was yeah that was yeah that was one of the other big things that we did 
and we just got back from Cabo on a cruise and we were there at the, that infamous incident that happened to you at the Waldorf Cabo, yeah. Cabo uh, a few weeks ago or months ago, sorry. But I kind of wanted to highlight those two things because other than that, we pretty much spent the first four or five years of our marriage and our life going to Southern California. We went to Disneyland a lot. We went to baseball games uh, at you know Red Sox games because we were really into the Boston Red Sox at the time. And we did all of that stuff and had a great time, but we hadn't really traveled a whole ton. And then I had, and, I, and I'm really curious because I don't think we've talked about this in a while, but I had a conversation with a coworker who was probably in her 50s at the time. So I had, after leaving IHOP, I worked my way up to become a general manager of IHOP. You were a, a server for a while, but then you had left before I ever left IHOP and were working as a server at one of the casinos here mm-hmm. and then eventually became a realtor and you had your real estate license. Parallel to that, I also moved into the realm of real estate after doing estate planning, and I was a loan officer for a large mortgage company and doing pretty well, and under an incredible amount of stress, and mm. just not the job for me or the or the life for me, uh, even though I know quite a few people who have done really well in mortgage. But one day I was having a conversation with a coworker, her name was Valerie, and she was telling me about, her son was in his 20s at the time, and I think she was in her 50s about a trip that she had taken with her husband and their son when he was little, probably about 10 years old, where they went to Europe for a month. And they traveled all around Europe on trains and saw all these amazing things and carried their, you know, their just their rollerboard suitcases everywhere they went and did that. I never had this great dream to travel the world. It wasn't like I didn't want to travel the world. There was places I wanted to go up the Great Wall of China and the pyramids and all that. But I never said, oh my God, I want to travel the world. But I had that conversation and instantly I was just, something changed in my brain because I had, we had a kid, we had a, a young child. He was five at the time of this conversation with Valerie and I had never really thought, oh, you can just travel the world with children. And I had this conversation with her and I started Googling and I found blogs of other families that were traveling and I suddenly realized that it was totally possible for us to go with our son and, and go travel the world even despite our lack of experience in doing it. And then I like thought about it for like two weeks. Like I Googled everything. I started reading blogs. I did not talk to Jasmine about it. I I totally went off on my own little world and formulated a whole plan because I knew that if I was going to sell this to you, that I had to have all my bases covered because this is a sort of a scary thing. And do you remember the day that I asked you or that I told you about it? Yeah, I remember, but I was... I don't know. I just, you said it. And I think I said yes, like right away. I just, that I, I I don't quite remember, but I was like, yeah, why not? You know, let's do it. Because all the stressing and all that stuff, I guess, I didn't think it was going to be that real. Like, I didn't think it was going to be like, for sure, the 18 months that we did and all that. But like, I I guess I I said yes at that time. I don't know. How do you remember that? I don't, I don't quite, I quite don't remember that part of it. Well, back then, I think a few times a week we would go to lunch together. You'd come to my office or we'd go to somewhere near my office and we would go to lunch. And I remember specifically we went to Metro Pizza that day here in Las Vegas, which is a pretty well-known, one of the better pizzas in Las mm, Vegas. Yeah. And so we went there and I just sort of said, why don't we sell our house, sell everything and travel around the world? I think I said it exactly like that, except I did caveat and say, you know, let's do research, make sure it's okay. But I didn't tell you, I'd already done all the research. I had already pretty much made up my mind. Uh, I don't know what I would do if you if you said no, but at that point we agreed to sort of a timeline, which was 
do some research for a month or two. This was in the middle of 2006. We ended up leaving in April of 2007, although we were delayed. I think we were originally supposed to leave about a month before that because, of course, we make this decision to go and then your real estate business got very busy and you were very busy. I even remember after we had left, our first three months of traveling on the road on that trip was around the US and you were still closing deals as we were on the road because we had other things that we just needed to go. I was dying to go by that point. I mean, it, it was 10 months of planning. But yeah, it was, uh, we initially had set no date for when we would come back. It was an open-ended trip and it lasted 18 months. Mm. And we went to amazing places. Uh, we started three months around the US. So we got to see so much of the stuff that we never got to see. And we got to show our son so much of that history. And he was pretty young. He was six, almost seven when we left on the trip. We've done a trip uh, similar this year with our daughter at the same age. So there's things he doesn't remember, but he does remember a lot of the big stuff and the history, and it gave him an appreciation for that. But for me personally, it was cool seeing, I don't know, Disney World for the first time, seeing the White House for the first time, seeing New York City for the first time. I remember that. We had four days in New York City. And do you remember like where we stayed on that trip? Because yes. we were on a budget. There was no yeah. miles and points then. We stayed uh, where? New Jersey, then was that? Yeah. <laughs> like we had a, like literally like take the train and there was, I remember specifically a place where we were just standing and nobody out there. We went to very scary parts of the United yeah. States, believe it or not, but I, I guess we didn't really pay attention to things like that at that time. We did and we didn't because we had a rule, we can't stay too late because we have a kid. But even though New York was different, we always found ourselves at three in the morning somewhere on those three specific days, those four days. Yeah. I mean, it was long know. days, long days and nights, for yeah. honestly. I don't know if it was three in the morning, but it was certainly after midnight. <laughs> it was like late. <laughs> it was after midnight when we got back. Yeah, I mean, because we, so yeah, to save money, because mm. we didn't have miles and points, and the prices in New York City proper were so much. And remember, we're on this long-term trip, heavily budgeted, keeping track of our finances every day. So we stayed in Newark at a uh, whatever hotel and uh, the hotel itself was fine it wasn't nice or anything but it was you know in its own little area but we had to go to the train station and take the train the path train into new york city and coming back at night it was kind of yeah sketchy i would say but that was what we did i mean on some level we just made things happen no matter what our options were we found a way to do it and yeah it was incredible seeing new york city for the first time and mm -hmm. so many things on that trip seeing lambeau field and green bay for the first time going to Canada, discovering Quebec City and how it felt like France, because we hadn't been to France at that point ever. Mm -hmm. We hadn't been to Europe at that point. And going to Quebec City and just, do you remember that? We stayed in like a hostel in the yeah. middle of the old city. and But it felt like Europe, right? Everybody was speaking French and you had all that architecture. Yeah, I remember that. I, I mean, Quebec was something different. Even like parts of the United States that I was like, wow, this is like... United States, it was crazy things that I never would have saw if I never done this. But yeah, Quebec was definitely, it was like a, its own little world, like I'm guessing. Like nobody spoke English. Yeah. Like I'm, seriously. like I remember we were trying to communicate with a maid. We were <laughs> horrible. At, at a Radisson <laughs> and trying to communicate with a maid for something basic. And she was only speaking French. and Cream. You know, I wanted cream yeah, for the coffee. There you go. Yeah. And she was only speaking French, no English. And she was very friendly. So she wasn't like, sometimes they play the game where they don't speak English. But she was super, super friendly, but just didn't. 
And it was just a kind of a new experience, I think. Yeah. You know, we're an English-Spanish household, but, you know, we hadn't really gone anywhere like that before. So there were so many lessons that we learned along the way. Three months, 17,000 miles of driving around the U.S., and a lot of extended stay Americas. We used Priceline a lot at the time. Yeah, we sure did. Yeah. yeah. And so what I would do is kind of, I, I found ways, I don't remember what they are right now, but I found ways to like figure out what the prices were. And so if we could get like a three-star hotel for 50 bucks, we would do that. But there was a lot of times where that wasn't possible and we would default down to like a one-star hotel on Priceline for 20 bucks or, you know, something. And some cities even more than that, obviously. But those one-star hotels were always extended stay Americas. And it was always their smallest room, which was a queen room with this little chair. <laughs> and uh, we, our son slept on the chair. We would make his little bed on the chair. And they were just not nice places to stay. And, uh, but we did it. And, uh, you know, it got us through. It, it allowed us to stay on our budget in the U.S., which was one of the most expensive mm -hmm. countries. He hated those extended stay Americas, though. Well, we would put two chairs together. It was like a little bed, mostly like a crib because he was, you know, and we'll put pillows on there. And, and I mean, he, he did. He hated everything, I think, honestly. Well, you know, a typical kid. But, I mean, we did what we had to do, and we got through it, like you said. But sometimes there was times where we just wanted to cry. Yeah. I guess it was just horrible. Yeah, I mean, he yeah. was a trooper, though. He was yeah. really good in the car. Um, so that you think about all that 17,000 miles of driving with a six-year-old in the back of the car, he was pretty good. And we've actually been lucky with our daughter, Elizabeth, where she's definitely not as docile as he was, <laughs> but she's pretty good when it comes to long trips and kind of like ramping herself down. But she and, tells uh, you what she wants to tell you. She yeah. doesn't let you. So we did that and we had a, a set date to get back to Las Vegas. So we did a big circle, Las Vegas, back to Las Vegas basically across the south, up the east coast, into Canada, back across the Midwest, the north, into the Pacific Northwest, Vancouver, Seattle, all the way back down, drove through Yosemite, then back through Nevada, and we're in Las Vegas for my dad's wedding, and then we were leaving again. So we just came home for a few days. It was cool to see friends and family. Yeah. Was that bittersweet for you? Did you Do you remember at all if you were like homesick coming back for those few times, or were you just like looking ahead to our next place? You know, I, I was always homesick, honestly. Like, I feel like, so the way we did it, since it was like a fast pace going and going, you didn't really have time to grieve or to be homesick. Those times when you, when you had time to, like, l look at the, what you're doing, then that's when you're like, oh, my God, I kind of want to go home. But, yeah, it was, I miss home, yeah. But I didn't have a home, so, I mean, like. I just yeah. barely, I just miss my friends, I guess, my sisters, my family. I mean, my, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, that's a good point. We did sell everything. So we didn't, unlike right now where we're semi-nomadic but have our home here, we didn't have anything. All of our stuff fit in a 5 by 10 storage unit. Mm -hmm. And we sold everything else or got rid of everything else. So we didn't really have a, a home. And I think that's one thing that people don't talk about often enough with long-term travel is homesickness and being lonely. And, you know, there's times, I think it's much better when you're traveling with other people. So we always had each other and we were always able to talk to each other too. But when you're places where there's just a foreign language and foreign culture and you're being bombarded by different things every day, it does get tough. And there are low moments for sure. Mm -hmm. And we definitely had some low moments on that trip, including one time in New Zealand where, you know, the whole thing almost came to an end. 
it wasn't all like peaches and rainbows and oh, lollipops and unicorns. I knew you'd like that reference. <laughs> I, knew, I knew you'd like that. No, um, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, like sometimes when we didn't get along, we just, we didn't have each other. And that's when you feel the pressure and the loneliness. And yeah, I, there was times where I really wanted to go home, but like to do what? And then I came to my senses and then we just go back again and start all over again. But yeah, you get lonely. You don't have anywhere to go. You don't have any friends. Like I, I did make friends though. I have my best friends in Guatemala. I, when I found somebody, that's it. I would just be talking to them forever. I'd be like, oh, get away from me. But yeah, uh, I don't know. It, it was it was really hard. It was a different time too. There was no social media. You didn't have cell phones. We didn't have an internet mm-hmm. on a cell phone through our entire thing. In fact, we didn't have a cell phone at all except for our time in Australia where we bought a prepaid phone, but then that was only for calling and we didn't have anything for like internet. So you relied on Wi-Fi networks and in most of the developing uh-huh. world, hotels didn't have Wi-Fi or, or where we were staying didn't have Wi-Fi anyway. So the hostels did. Sometimes. Oh, the hostels did. No, sometimes they did, but sometimes they didn't. And we had to go to like internet cafes. Like yeah. in Guatemala, my half my life was spent in an internet cafe because I wrote the blog that preceded Miles to Memories, which was called Family Around the World for the entire first year of our travel. And that took a lot of time and effort to kind of go there. And it wasn't like it was today. And I feel like today you're always more connected, right? You can do a FaceTime with your family. You're keeping up with people on social media. You feel probably a little bit less isolated. Do you agree with that? Well, I'm not like that social media a lot. Like I'm just, you know, but yeah, if I wanted to see what my sisters are doing, like I will go there. But I just honestly, just on the phone, I like to be on the phone a lot and the times change and it's easier, I guess now. Yeah. And it's not so expensive to call because that was also a problem is if you're calling back to the U.S., what's it going to cost and how do you, you know, where where do you get the best rates? Skype was... We still do that. What are you talking about? (laughs) We're still like, how much is that going to cost? Every time we're somewhere else, you're always like, you better check how much that's going to be. Like, it's not like... Yeah, it's still the same as sometimes. Like yeah, some but with well, our yeah. cell phone plan, we would we've had. Yeah, we we like can through, text. Yeah. Well, no, through this year you can call back to the U.S. You can FaceTime. You can do all of that stuff. Yeah. So it's not really a, a huge deal like it was because we didn't have access to all of that. But even now, I mean, you can get lonely and you can get homesick. I know I've had times this year where I've been homesick, and uh, it does happen. You it, really? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> yes, uh, absolutely. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, it happens, right? Because I'm sort of a person who loves to be on the road. When I'm at home, I want to be on the road. But then, you know, sometimes you just want that downtime. And so we did a lot of things. So you mentioned Guatemala, and we backpacked through Guatemala for a few months. Saw so many places that didn't have, like, a Hyatt or a Marriott or any, like, nothing like that, right? Places that tourists just don't go other than backpackers. Some incredible places. The friendliest people I've ever met. It's the only place that I've ever been where I didn't feel like a tourist. We spent a month in the city of Quetzaltenango where we rented an apartment and it was like $30 a week. So crazy. Uh, but we rented an apartment and I studied Spanish and I just remember like walking to from our apartment to the school every day and saying hi to like all the street market vendors. And it was just such a friendly place. Nobody made me feel like I didn't belong there. And I'll always have fond memories of Guatemala. But we also got to see the cool things like the ruins, Mayan ruins everywhere, Tikal, uh, we backpacked into Mexico and saw some ruins in Palenque, of course, the, the Chichen Itza. And then what's funny is on that trip, 
So we're backpacking, staying in some really, you know, not sketchy places. We never stayed in two really, we never stayed in really, really sketchy places. Just a step above that, right? Because we had a kid, but not nice places. And then we were traveling through Cancun in like September. <laughs> and I noticed that because it was hurricane season, the prices of all-inclusives were cheap. And so we stayed at our first all-inclusive in Cancun. And then we stayed at the Viva Winda Maya, which is still there in Playa del Carmen for like 100 bucks a night for the three of us. And we hadn't had any babysitters for months. Uh, we had no time away. They had kids clubs. It was like the best thing ever. Like <laughs> he free was, booze. He free, was the free. only kid over there too. <laughs> but he he loved it. I th if I remember right, at the one in Cancun, he just played Xbox like the whole yeah, day because yeah. he had just uh, he was enjoying it as much as we were. But that trip was uh, amazing. Seventeen months. We spent a lot of time in Southeast Asia. A lot of time through Thailand and Vietnam. For me, the highlight of the trip. Uh, was, and this is sort of a, a mixed reaction from you probably, but was two months of backpacking through China. And we really kind of made the trip up as we went along. I had some basic ideas of where we were going to go, but we didn't have firm plans. And we realized that we were, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think we realized as we were getting into like 14, 15, 16 months in this trip, we were waking up pretty tired. Like I remember starting the day at maybe 70% every day. I didn't have the energy I had earlier in the trip because we were just going so hard for so long. And we kind of realized maybe it's time to wrap this thing up. And the Olympics were in August in Beijing. And I sort of looked at the map and realized that we could go to China. And they had a two entry visa. You got 30 days for each entry. And we were in Hong Kong and we went to some sketchy visa office, but they got us our Chinese yeah. visa. And that meant that we had 30 days to travel through China. Then we had to leave and then we had to come back. And when we came mm -hmm. back, it was for the Olympics. And we traveled through some very remote areas of China. It was even worse. <laughs> it was a pretty amazing it was, experience. It though. was. It was different. Like You're talking about different, whole, a whole different thing. Because in Guatemala, we at least I spoke Spanish. Well, you did too. And then you forgot. But like that's something else. Um, but in China and all those places, like we didn't speak the language. We did. Not, signs are not different everything's so it was coming from at the end of our trip that was the most exhausting thing we ever did I think because that was absolutely chaotic everything was crazy no matter where you went it was absolutely crazy the one thing I'll say that we learned was that China is nothing like they're portrayed like to be here I mean the the view of China by the average American really doesn't reflect what happens on the ground there, although things have changed there a lot since we went there. But we just discovered very friendly people living their lives. Helping us for yeah. a lot, like follow us to help us. I mean, people went out of their way, out of their day of work to just help us. Yeah. You know, it, it was amazing. Yeah. It was amazing and it was confusing at the same time. Yeah, we had, <laughs> that's true because we, yeah, yeah, it was crazy. Because we didn't have any great, uh, I don't know, grasp on, on their culture and we tried, but also because there were large areas of the country where no one spoke English. And that meant that we were in places where we could not find an English speaker at all. Nothing. And in situations where we had to learn to communicate with people without English. And we quickly learned that the Chinese have different like symbols. So like you'll make a hand gesture and to them it'll be something completely different. And so like we had to learn to like tone ourselves down. It got to the point where sometimes you wouldn't even say words to them because the words would get confusing. But if you just signaled stuff, it would work. And we made it through it. One thing I'll say about China at the time, everywhere we went, 
felt very safe. Like we never felt yeah. like unsafe there, and there was always people willing to help. But it was chaotic. I remember that. Do you remember when? Well, so uh-huh. our first cruise, right? <laughs> Ever cruise, oh my I God. think, was uh, down the Yangtze River. And I remember sitting at like a travel agency in, I think, Wuhan or Chongqing. I forget where we started on that thing. But uh, we were sitting at a travel agency and they're like, there's two types of cruises. There's a Western cruise, like a fancy cruise, or there's the Chinese cruise. And of course, being backpackers on a budget, we chose the Chinese cruise. And it was like two nights, I think. And it turned out that it was us, a couple of German girls, and then a Mexican guy who spoke English. But we were the only Westerners on that boat and there was probably hundreds of Chinese people, probably three or 400 other people on the boat. And uh, we got to our cabin and the first night, like we're awoken from our sleep and there's what? What was in, what was, what did we hear? There's rats everywhere. (laughs) Sean was jumping because he's so scared of rats. Uh, Yeah. He was jumping up on the bed and I was like, what the hell? And the next day we found out that the rats ate all our friends' food, I guess. You know, they ate the food and we had to save everything that we had. Yeah. So, I mean, so getting on this this cruise is not like getting on a Western cruise. No. So food is not included. Uh, you can, there was like a small, what they would call a restaurant, but it looked very, very shady on the back of the mm. of the uh, the boat with some questionable looking food. But what we did and what a lot of Chinese people do when they're traveling on trains or longer term, you get the like the freeze dried noodles. The noodles. Like a cup of noodles. Hot water yeah. everywhere. Hot water. And, and they tea. Have, yeah. They have the best varieties of that stuff too. Yeah. So much better than we have here. Yeah. Like so delicious. So we had all of that stuff stocked up. But yeah, the first night we wake up and there's little rats. <laughs> rats in the wall. Oh my God. And uh, I rats immediately. Rats in my room. I immediately, <laughs> yeah. As Jasmine said, I immediately jump up and. It was uh, crazy. I was scared. I don't like bugs. I don't like rodents. Nothing uh, like that. So I, I turn up and then this, I remember the wall switch was too far and I wasn't going to walk on the floor. I did it. I went. No, I didn't. No, I turned it on, didn't I? No, 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 no. I, you wouldn't. You refused to. You're like, you know, be a man or something. I don't know what you I'm not. I would never said things like that. But no, something like that. But uh, <laughs> uh, I, so I found a way to get to the edge of my bed and I like leaned in. The wall was like... And I was able, just tall enough with my arms to like lean towards the wall and I hit it. And we realized that the rats were in the wall, not in our room. And then we tied up our food. I remember that we tied up all of our food up on the bedpost after that. So our food wasn't affected. And these two German girls would eventually uh, become friends and we met them. So they told us about, uh, one of them had been to Mongolia recently. Mm -hmm. And we didn't know where we were going to go yet uh, to leave China because we knew we had to leave and then come back. One of the options, and probably the leading option at the time, was to take, this is crazy, this is really crazy, but Mm -hmm. flights between China and Japan at the time were really expensive, and there were these freighter ships that you could get, rent beds on a freighter ship. We had talked about this, I don't know if you remember that. I don't remember that. So we were going to take like a three-day freighter cruise to... To Japan, to God, get out of China, no, no. I think. But anyway, so she had talked about going to Mongolia, and we went up to Ulaanbaatar. We took the train, like the trans the Trans Siberian Railway, part of it uh, between Beijing and uh, Ulaanbaatar, and went up there and just found really cool things in Ulaanbaatar. But the cool thing to do in Mongolia is to do like a camping adventure out in the Mongolian countryside. Yeah, and so it's a private kind of thing, and <laughs> so it's expensive. But we were lucky. That we arrive at this place, this hostel yeah. that they had told us about where our friends were staying. The German yeah, girls yeah. were there at the time yeah. that we were there. And it was full because there was some holiday or something. Yeah. That was the only time that we ever spent the night in a collective bunk room with our son. 
Yeah, we never stay in rooms where we had a chair, but it was the German girls. And there was another lady, a mom with a little boy. He was like, I think he was 11, 12. Yeah, and we were kind of, we felt safe about that. He, yeah. It was good. It was the girls and the other couple, the, I mean, the mom and the son and us. It was six. That's the first time we stayed in that. I never knew that. They, well, I knew they looked like that, but I didn't never stay with people like that. But yeah, it, was, it wasn't that bad. It was good. It was clean, by the way, because we can see all the blankets outside in the sun. Yeah. <laughs> clean and stuff. But yeah. We stayed in a lot of hostels, but that was the only time in a non-private room. So yeah. we would always do private rooms in hostels that was an incredible hostel though because it was just an incredible like atmosphere of travelers like yeah you don't find yourself in the middle of Ulaanbaatar at a hostel unless you're really a traveler and so there was a lot of cool people old hippie people I remember like this old hippie lady but we found this German couple that was oh, that wanted yeah. to do a private tour and they wanted to share with somebody else so it made it cheaper and uh, we didn't know if they wanted to travel with a kid we had to ask because yeah. a lot of people, I think they outed out, but they did it. They didn't care. Yeah. Like, no, they did it. And we and countryside is countryside. So think about Mongolia as kind of sparse as it is and the nomads and all of that. And the only kind of stipulation that the German couple had is they wanted to go to the Gobi Desert. And so they planned out this 10-day or 11-day, yeah, yeah, I think, yeah. trip which went all throughout Mongolia from Ulaanbaatar, out in the middle of countryside. And I mean, we didn't see civilization for days and days and days and ended in the Gobi Desert. And what an incredible thing. I mean, you, you talk about like things that you can do in life and like, you know, maybe you don't do it and you find reasons not to do it. But this was something that is just not in my wheelhouse. I'm not a big outdoors person. I love the outdoors. I do like to hike and stuff. But the idea of spending 11 days out in the countryside of Mongolia and a, a horse little, is a little nuts. That yeah. is crazy. But it's still probably my favorite overall travel experience of my life. And the thing I am so happy that I did, I mean, we got to do everything from riding camels out in the middle uh, of the desert. We met plenty of families. There was one night, so some of the trip, they have these like, what they call like the nomadic tents there are called gurs. And they have these like gur camps where they bring tourists. So you're staying in a gur, like a traditional nomadic tent, but it's, sort of in a touristy kind of camp. So you're not staying with like authentic people. But we were so far off the beaten path, we had a couple of nights in those camps, but the vast majority of where we stayed was with locals. And my favorite memory is, uh, so what we would do, so the tradition in Mongolia is you just drive and drive and drive and then you see a, a tent and you pull up and you ask if they have space. And if they have space, they're supposed to allow you to do that. Mm -hmm. So we're driving and the sun's going down. We have a van, we have a private driver and we have a guide. Who cooks all of our food? It all tasted like goat. Goat, goat <laughs> everywhere. And I will never see another. Ugh. You drink your coffee in the morning. It was goat, goat coffee. Uh, every meal we had tasted like goat. goat. Everything was filtered through the goat. It was. You just, smell like yeah. goat. Yeah, the food, the food wasn't that good, but uh, we survived. Uh, and the food in Ula Matar was actually very good. They had really amazing pizza there when we got back. But uh, so anyway, so one night we're driving and it's getting dark and we are really like we've been when we're talking about driving. There's no roads. Right there's dirt roads it's and dirt some roads. paths, right? Yeah. So there's no like highways or anything like that. You're just basically cutting through the desert or through the the grass or wherever you're you're at. You're like in a roller coaster, like bumpy, bumpy the whole way. Yeah, days for twelve hours a day, it was days, really yeah. an intense experience. And by uh, no doubt, by the end, we were really over being in that stupid yeah. van. And the van yeah. broke down at one point. I think we we went through two different t flat tires. 
And there was just a lot of like interesting things like that. But one night we stopped and there was these two tents and they, the guy driver went inside, got permission. And it was this Mongolian family who had never had foreigners stay in their property before. And the family was so excited to have us. I just remember like the joy yeah. and the welcomeness that they gave us. And it was a three generation family with the parents, uh, the kids. One of the daughters had just had a baby. So it oh was like a God, newborn baby. Yeah, like a couple of weeks old, they I think. They were teaching her how to feed it. Like, uh, and it we was... stayed in her tent. Yeah, we did with the baby. <laughs> the parents and the brothers and sisters, uncles and all that stayed in their tent. And then the second tent was for the new family. And that's where they welcomed us. And we slept on the floor of their girl for the night, five of us side by side. Yeah, it was such an amazing experience. The next day, they made us drink... Goat vodka. vodka, yeah, homemade, goat vodka. homemade goat vodka, <laughs> which was incredible. And we played games and they sang we had us songs. It. We had to drink that no matter what. I mean, isn't, I mean, when you think back on your life, isn't that like one of the coolest things? I never would have thought it, you know, in the miles and points where we're always staying in like nice hotels, we're going to big cities now and doing all that stuff. And that sort of stuff just would never hit your radar. <laughs> no. And it's just one of my favorite things. I think like everything happens for a reason. We met the German girls, then we met the German German couple, and I think they already had everything planned for us. I think everything, it wasn't, I don't know what it was, maybe destiny, but everywhere we went, we met the girls. Yeah. <laughs> they were always there, so, and they were so sweet, and we always joke about how they invented a selfie because they will take selfies like crazy, like yeah. on their own. They wouldn't let us take a picture of them. They're like, oh, no, we got it, we got it, and they got good, 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 good selfies. But yeah, I, I, and then everywhere we went and that was that path right there that that's that that's why we ended up in Mongolia doing all these amazing things because of that that girls and the girls and then the couple and it, that's how it was and it was amazing and we saw views that you will never ever see right now like unless you go do that and to do that something very unique because the German couple had their own thing that they wanted to do and we we just went along yeah. And Very nice people. Definitely yeah. nice people everywhere we met. And, yeah. And the world is different now because of social media, because of Instagram and people dreaming of going places. And there's more tourists than ever everywhere. And I appreciate experiences like that. I know we got to move on from Mongolia, but my favorite, <laughs> my other favorite part of that, besides my watching my son play <laughs> basketball with a little Mongolia, because who knew they played basketball in the middle, like the nomads. They had their the hoops up there. Hoops That's crazy. My son playing basketball and all kinds of stuff was we spent one point we broke away from our driver for a couple of days and he met us you know he drove the the roads met us on the other side we and we hiked goat. what we milked the goats yeah too. we did milk the goats yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah and we did all that and then we uh, wanted to kill the goats because they just oh smells so and we bad. ate a lot of goats and we did i forgot to say how terrible the goat cheese is <laughs> when you go to like a nomad to their house they want to welcome you and they welcome you with this dried goat cheese that they dry on the top of their tents <laughs> and it got to be the point where it was so hard for us to eat it you know you try to eat it to be polite but we would try to find ways to like eat a little bit of it and try not to eat the whole thing but you don't want to be insulting to them and that was always challenging but the best part of that trip was we spent a few days hiking through these incredible valleys and then one day was our big thing where we rode a horse 23 oh. kilometers Eight over hours. a mountain, over up over a mountain, down, down the other side with a 
a, a nomad, an expert horseman who led us, and our son was on the horse with him. And there was a couple other, like, more junior horsemen, I think. And then we had our own horses. And it was scary because I've ridden horses, you know, when I was a kid. My aunt had a ranch. But I didn't ride horses all that much, and I hadn't in a long time. And you're thinking about going up over a mountain down the other side. Those horses were such pros. They knew that. They knew exactly what they were doing. I mean, there were spots where the path was so narrow that a slip, we would be dead. But, I mean, there was never an issue with that. Other than, I, yeah, I, I was in a lot of pain the whole time. I had to go to the bathroom really bad. That's the story bad. you're going to tell? Oh, no, my I'm goodness. not going to tell that story, no, but God, I just had to go to no. the bathroom really bad. And uh, just the pain of sitting on a horse. This isn't like a comfortable saddle. You're bareback on this horse for what it was 12 hours, I think, in the end. Oh, I thought it was eight. Whatever it was. It was 23 kilometers, I remember. But uh, it was a, a whole day thing. But then we hiked through the valley. We camped by this beautiful mountain lake. There was not anybody for hundreds of miles pristine the air quality was so clean the everything was so pretty perfect and just knowing that we had uh, we were you know a far away from where we started and part of this was riding over a mountain on a horse a day part of it was spending an entire day hiking through a valley and through grasslands and camping by the camping by the lake i mean you can beat that yeah Yeah. this this is incredible these are some of the things that you can do when you get outside of miles and points and in the effort to keep us on somewhat of a timeline here. That's going to do it for part one of our conversation. This was originally supposed to be a single episode, but Jasmine and I had so much fun, we just kept going, and it went a little bit long, so we decided to split it up and do part one now with a bonus episode, part two, coming next Monday, so you'll be able to hear the conclusion of this conversation, including our Miles and Points days, some of the amazing trips we've taken with Miles and Points, more on homeschooling, the differences between traveling back then with our seven-year-old and traveling now with our daughter at the same age as we sort of recreate that original trip now in our semi-nomadic lives. A lot of cool things we talk about in part two, including being a player two and so much more. Lots of laughs there and I hope you come back to listen to that. As a reminder, if you like this show, head to mtmpodcast.com, click through, subscribe in your favorite podcast app. If you're applying for cards, want to support the show, you can find links there for that as well. Thanks so much for listening. See you on Monday with part two. Talk to you next time.